Our scripture for today is Luke 13, 22 through 30. So if you want to go ahead and start turning there, that would be great. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you, began to stand, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you uh, yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. Let's pray. God, thank you that we're able to uh, just be together this morning and and worship so freely as we can. Uh, God, we're thankful for that. And so as we um, study your word and uh, hear uh, the truth that you've spoken to Paul, God, we would love to um, just really uh, encounter you in a way that um, maybe we haven't before and and just ultimately be taught by your spirit. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. I'm surprised Will was able to do that. Uh, Will, over the last three weeks, has taken three different students on three different trips. And I'm, I'm actually surprised you were still able to stand up and, and walk to the front. But we sure appreciate that, Will, and uh, the hard work of all of the student ministry leaders. Well, uh, a little while ago, I had a conversation with a guy in my neighborhood who was going through a really hard time. And uh, after listening to him about his experience and... Uh, asking questions, which he was very open to answering, uh, over the course of a couple of conversations, I was able to share with him uh, a little bit about Jesus. Now, when it comes to sharing the gospel, which is the central message of the Christian faith, I know that I'm supposed to be a professional. As a pastor, I'm supposed to know exactly what to say exactly when to say it or not to say it, and exactly how to say it, right? I sure wish that were true. Uh, Many times when I am sharing the gospel with a person, I can feel honestly like I'm floundering a bit, you know, just struggling to say the right words at the right time. And that used to really bother me, but I've, I've come to realize actually that that's quite normal. Uh, When you go on a long run, you just expect that during that, you're going to get out of breath. You know, we know that that comes with the territory. And in a similar way, that sense of awkwardness that most of us feel when we go to share our faith with somebody else is very natural as well. And moving into, rather than away from those conversations with courage, in spite of the nervousness that we feel, is part of how our love and our spiritual concern for a person gets expressed. 
uh, sometimes just muddling through those conversations in faith and, and doing our best is how we live out the adventure of the Christian faith. It's what makes our faith so interesting and even fun. Uh, I almost never feel in sharing my faith or in preaching a sermon like I've hit a home run. And I've become okay with that because over the years I've just seen and become much more confident in recognizing that God doesn't need me to hit a home run, that a single is great too, or, or, or even a, a strikeout. Um, I, I just heard a story of a very, very famous pastor who shared that he came to faith in Christ when a high school friend sat him down and extremely nervously read to him word for word one of those gospel tracts in a totally monotone voice. And this guy said it was the worst presentation of the gospel that he has ever heard, but he trusted Christ right there on the spot. God opening up a person's heart to understand the gospel is always a work of his spirit each and every time. And a clunky presentation is no problem for him at all. God uses our faithfulness and our willingness to share with others much more than he uses our ability to do so. And it reminds us that saving people is God's work. It is not ours. He just lets us ride along for the journey. But anyway, in this case, as I stood there talking to this man last fall, it seemed like he was in an especially soft-hearted spot. So I started telling him about God's grace and sending Jesus to help us and how that tied into his situation. And, and, and honestly, I thought it was one of the best presentations of the gospel that I've ever shared with an individual. I don't think ever in my life I've done a better job. In fact, as I was talking, I was thinking, gee, this is pretty good. <laughs> now, I don't know what I expected to happen. Uh, uh, maybe that that man's eyes would start to tear up a little bit, or that he would start to ask me questions, or, or that maybe a light would shine down from heaven upon him, and he would fall down on his knees. But I have to say, I was very surprised with what did happen. Nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing at all. After I was done sharing for about two minutes, he just moved it up right on and kept on talking about something totally different. And he was not trying to be rude. He's a really nice guy. It was just that everything that I was saying to him about Jesus went in one ear and it went out the other. It was like the birds had carried away the seed before the seed even had a chance to hit the path. And I actually think this is very common. This morning, I want to share that I think this is very common for church people. Now, I don't think this man had ever stepped into a church uh, before, except maybe he'd attended a wedding or a funeral. However, in my experience as a pastor over the years, I have seen many people who have attended our church for years and years, or others who have attended different good churches in the community, maybe even for their entire lives, who have had a similar experience to this man. Uh, every week they've read passages about Jesus. 
They've heard sermons uh, explaining the work of Jesus. They've sang songs celebrating Jesus. But somehow, when you talk with them about their faith, you realize that in all of that, they've missed Jesus. And this is what in many ways our passage is about this morning. It's about making sure that none of us miss Jesus. Now the passage begins by reminding us that Jesus, uh, though he has been teaching across various scattered towns and villages, has always had a particular destination in mind, and that is Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel. And Jesus knows that his arrival in Jerusalem will be met not with a celebration, but with his arrest. Uh, rather than being enthroned on a, uh, on a throne as a king, he's going to be hung on a cross as a criminal. And just as John said in the beginning of his gospel, Jesus would come to Israel, to Jerusalem, to his own people, but his own people would reject him. And those who are traveling with Jesus here seem to be discouraged by the early hints of Jesus' rejection. Uh, Jesus' message so far has not, on the whole, been universally received. Uh, Israel, to a large extent, has been rather unresponsive. And though there have, to this point, been many individuals who have accepted Jesus' message, there was also great opposition to him as well. And in this passage, these people are pondering why that is and, and what it meant. And they asked Jesus about this, perhaps with a bit of gloom in their voice. They say in verse 23, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Is what we're doing making any difference? Why is it that our message is not seeming to be sweeping through Israel like wildfire as it should? What do you think about that, Jesus? What's, what's going on? <clears throat> now, I want you to notice here that Jesus does not answer their question directly. Instead, he focuses their attention not on the condition of the nation around them. Okay, That's going to come later but to the condition concentrate first on their own response to his message. It's less important for them to worry about the spiritual condition, apparently, of everyone around them than it is to make sure that their own souls are in order. Make sure your own oxygen mask is secure first, Jesus seems to be saying here. So let's read his words and listen closely to them again today. Look at verses 24. This is Jesus' answer. It says, And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. 
in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourself cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. What's Jesus getting at here? Well, he uses a a very familiar illustration, and that is of a master of a great house who has invited the whole town to come and enjoy his presence and probably a lavish feast in his marvelous home. However, Jesus gives notice that at some point, this great man is going to rise up from the place that he is seated, walk over to the front door, and close it and lock it. And only those who have already entered in will be able to enjoy its blessings. Those who do not arrive on time or who try to enter from some other way other than the door, Jesus warns, will be shut out. Now here's the part of this little story, this illustration that Jesus gives that is so sobering, and that is this. Many of those who are locked out are going to be surprised by this. He says that they will stand outside the door and knock and shout to the master, Lord, open to us. But that he will reply with some of the most tragic words that any ears have ever heard. And oh, I pray this morning that you would not hear these words. I do not know where you come from. But those on the outside will protest. What else can they do? They'll say, Master, what do you mean? It's us. You know, us. And the people who are in there with you, we we can see them right there through the window. They're our friends. They know us really well. We've eaten and, and drank with them. Don't you remember? You were there too. You must have seen us. And besides, when you taught in the streets, we were right there in the crowd. Some of us heard everything that you said. Others of us were in the front row. But Jesus says that the master will say again, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, you workers of evil. And where does he say that they will depart to? To a place where there is weeping and the gnashing or grinding of teeth, a place of sorrow and bitter regret. And then the story takes another bad turn. Jesus says that then, from a distance, this group of outsiders will perceive Abraham and Isaac and and Jacob the founders of Israel and all of the prophets coming into the great house laughing and celebrating right through the front door. And other people are going to enter through that door too from every direction. But it will be people that they never would have expected while they themselves are left out in the cold. And of course, uh, Jesus here was sketching an image 
of the kingdom of heaven. So you're just saying, this is how heaven works, at least in part. The kingdom of God, Jesus says, is open to all. Everyone is invited. What a wonderful truth. There is no one that need to be rejected. But Jesus was warning them, and he warns us here too, that there is only one way to enter it through a narrow door, a very specific access point. And just like in this little illustration, those who do not enter on time or who try to get in through some other means other than the door will tragically be left out in the cold too. And so Jesus urges these folks to strive to enter through that door. Now, Jesus was speaking here to a Jewish audience, and he says two things that would have been quite stunning to them. First of all, he was indicating that just because a person was an Israelite, it didn't mean that they would automatically gain entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Now, that might seem obvious to us, but for most of Israel at that time, they just assumed that their pedigree as the descendants of Abraham was their ticket in. But Jesus was teaching here that it didn't work that way. And not only that, but he was saying something else too, something that was also very controversial. Controversial. Both, actually. And that is that it wouldn't just be Jews who would enter into the kingdom of God. He says that people from the east and from the west and from the north and, and the south, they would come and recline at the table too. These were the Gentiles, those who were not Jewish. That would have come as a real shocker to many of them. You see, the Jews felt that their connection with Abraham alone gave them number one, first-rate status with God. They were at the top of his list while the Gentiles were at the bottom. But what Jesus says here is that, no, it doesn't work that way. In fact, it's, in some cases, it's Gentiles who are being received into the kingdom while the Jews are being left out. And that's why Jesus says at the end of this text that some that are last are actually going to be first. And some who think they're first are actually going to be last. Now, here's the long and short of what Jesus is trying to tell them in this passage. And that is that a loose connection to God, either through one's ethnicity or background or relationships and connection with others or familiarity with Jesus' teachings, is not enough for a person to gain entrance into the kingdom of heaven. What he is saying is that something much more particular and specific is required. Heaven is open to all, Jesus says clearly in this passage. But the doorway to enter is a narrow one. And a loose attachment to God will not do. Now, I'm afraid that there are many people today who consider themselves Christians who believe that they will be uh, granted access into the kingdom of heaven, but who only have a loose attachment to God like these. There was some research that was done a few years ago, very interesting, 
very helpful research uh, into the religious belief system of U.S. teenagers, including many of those who grew up in churches and considered themselves to be Christians. And what they discovered is that the most commonly held beliefs were something that the researchers eventually went on to label moralistic, therapeutic deism. Uh, you can see behind me that there are five basic beliefs to this system of thinking, which these researchers were saying, this is kind of the general religion in America. And that is these five points. First of all, that a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Second, that God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and most world religions. Number three, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Number five, uh, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when he is needed to resolve a problem. And finally, good people go to heaven when they die. I truly believe that this is the default religion of many people today. And if you look at it, it does look a little bit like Christianity, doesn't it? But the truth is, it is a thousand miles away and farther. This is a system where I believe in a relatively vague God. And I do my best to be good and kind and accepting of other people, and God responds by being good and kind towards me and making me feel good about myself and giving me a ticket into heaven. But God does not pry into my life. God does not demand anything for me. He's just always there when I get into a jam. However, I want you to notice a few things. There are many more. But a few things that are missing in this system, there's no joy or delight. There's no sin or need for forgiveness. There's no real experience of the presence and strength and help and power of God in a person's life. There's no purpose or mission no courage required. But more than anything else in this system, there's no Jesus. And that right there is how we know that this has nothing to do with Christianity. Because in the Christian message, Jesus is primary. He is central. And he is indispensable. In fact, the name Christianity itself starts with the word Christ. But there's no Christ here. Probably one of the most cliche questions that Christians tend to ask is this one. If you were to die today and stand before the gates of heaven, and God were to ask you, why should I let you into my kingdom? What would you say? Now, I don't care how stale that question is, and I know it's pretty stale, but it is so helpful because it brings to the surface what a person truly believes is the doorway into the kingdom of God. 
So I want to ask you to answer that question to yourself this morning. If you were to die today and stand before the gates of heaven, and God were to ask you, why should I let you in? What would you say? Really think about it first. How would you answer? Now, if I were to answer, I think that God will let me in because I believe in him, that would be a very common answer. But that's rather vague, isn't it? The real question is not whether or not I believe in God. It's what do I believe about him? And does what I believe about him match what he says is true about himself? In our passage today, those who were shut out of the house believed in the master. In fact, they had stood and, and listened to his teachings. Some were even in the front row. So apparently belief in and even some general knowledge of Jesus on its own is not enough. Now, if I were to answer that question another way, if I were to say God should let me in, not only because I believe in him, but because I've been a good person. I've tried to love people, and I've done my best to be an upstanding citizen. Or, or maybe I might say because I've gone to church my entire life. Every Sunday morning I got up, came to church. And what I'm believing is that the doorway into heaven is through my good work or my connection with other Christians. But again, the people left outside in this story were clearly involved in good things too, and they were also well-connected. They had eaten and drank with the people who were in the house. And so apparently for us too, participation in Christian activity does not automatically grant one access into heaven. You and I may have attended church all of our lives. We may have taught Sunday school classes. We may have had wonderful experiences on retreats or, or at camps or on mission trips. We might even be one of the pastors. And all of those things are good. But Jesus says that the door to the kingdom is much more narrow than general belief and involvement in God's activity. So the question is, what is the narrow door? How does one find entrance into the kingdom of heaven? Well, in this passage, Jesus makes that absolutely clear. Because what he shows us through this illustration is that the narrow door is the master himself. He's the one who welcomes people in. And he's the one who shuts them out. And what is required of a person? Well, simply to receive his invitation and to come through him. In the kingdom of heaven, our entrance, our narrow door is Jesus himself. Thank you.